welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 252. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. With me, as always, is Henry. Hello. Actually, not always. He hasn't been on the episode uh, for a while, so welcome back. I'm part of technology, so yes. Yes, Henry. uh, I put myself there. Henry has uh, designated himself the technology guy for the show. Yes. So uh, we, we tried recording the field report a little differently this week. Thanks to me. Thanks to I Henry. I found out that because I did a smart because I'm smart. If you guys would like to see the video of the field report, all you got to do is sign up for at the uh, $3 level on the Patreon, and you can do that. Thanks to people already doing that. We'll talk more about that at the end of the show. What's going on, Henry? Not much. Watching YouTube like usual. So been, really fast. Yeah, how fast can you do it now, Henry? My my personal best is 57 seconds. You know, it might be fun sometime. Oh. Record. Is you to get me the cube I want? <laughs> he won't give me $65 so I can get the new cube. I'm such a no. mean parent. Yes. No, that's actually not what I was going to say. What I was going to say was we could record you doing the Rubik's Cube. Ooh, yeah. And put that up. Yeah. As a, as a bonus feature. Patreon. Yeah. I'm going to do that for the other podcast, too. They might like it. Yeah. We you, should put it at the $10 million level. Yeah, whatever. You also have been playing the PlayStation. Yeah. A I've lot lately. i James Bond. In my small classic game collection, I have a PS2, and Henry's been playing From Russia With Love uh, on the PlayStation quite a bit. Uh, and, well, we played Sarge's Heroes yeah. a little. On the Nintendo 64. Yeah, that was on the Nintendo 64, yeah. but... Yeah, so I've got the Atari, of course. I've got the Intellivision. Uh, I've got a 7800 Atari, 2600. I've got, I've got a 5200 that I bought, quote-unquote, in working condition, which turns out not to be the case. That's so what eBay is. Someday I have to, I, and I ordered some new parts. But or I'm, maybe it was working and then it just got bounced around in the mailing process. No, I think it just was not working great when they sold it to me, but... I've got some replacement parts, but I don't know what to do. So, if anyone has, like, a, a primer for dummies, how to fix the controllers and the um, power thing. I can't. It's got a name, but I'm blanking what it's called. Controller? Um, the thing that sparks when you plug it in, because that's not good. No, not the igniter. Because I don't have the skill or the patience. Not the rocket thrusters. <laughs> that would have been cool. <laughs> Um, I don't have the time or the patience. You can send it to space for Neil Armstrong. But I do have the replacement parts. I just don't know what to do. So if anyone magically wants to show up at my house and fix it, uh, I'm I'm open to that. I know what I'm going to do. Okay, maybe not show up at my house. That'd be weird. I know what I'm going to do. I'm ignoring Henry at the moment. What? I'm going to be the first person to play the the Atari 2800 on the moon. 2600? 2800. There isn't a 2800. There's a 2600, 7200, and in Why, between a 5200. <laughs> I don't know. Take it up with Atari 40 years ago. Do they still make Atari? Don't they still make well, Atari? They're thing? making. Supposed to be making a new console that's like the old Atari 2600, but it has new features. But supposedly they've been coming out with this thing for like a year, and it just never comes out. So. Or maybe it's. Maybe it's more too advanced for them to come out in under a year. And there are people who make new games for the existing twins. I've got a couple of them. Um, but beyond that, not so much. 
So, yeah, if anyone wants to fix my 5200 magically and make it work so that I don't have to do anything, that would be awesome. So, I've got that. I've got the Nintendo 64, PlayStation 2, and Henry's been spending some time this week with the uh, PS2 and the uh, Nintendo a little bit. We also have a Wii that doesn't work. I have a Wii that doesn't work so great. I've got one of the original Game Boys. Uh, you get that out sometimes and play that. Yeah. I um, play Tetris. Yeah, I've only got a couple of two, three games for that. But so. their screen is starting to get the little lines. Their screen is starting to get the little lines on it. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So, I guess this technically isn't a segment of what game is Henry playing while we podcast about a different game. But, oh, well now it is. Mm-hmm. Insert the uh, wonderful new music I got. You did? You got music? Sort of. He said it was more like placeholder music until somebody actually sends me a real theme for it. And that was, I apologize, I'm blanking right now. I'm looking it up. The screen is being cut off. Oh, it is. Um, that was, apologies, that was, oh, MTARP, at MTARP on Twitter, sent that to me. What does it sound Quote, like? you asked for it. This is more to encourage someone who is talented to do it right. Performed by my Commodore 128, which makes total sense for an Atari podcast. Uh, I've thanked you on the podcast already, uh, even though I haven't gotten to use the theme until now. And and once again, here's what it sounds like. What's the the thing that he... Commodore 128? Yeah. It's a really old computer that was popular when I was... Like the big box computers? Pretty much. So yeah, so MCARP has provided that to us whenever Henry is playing a, a video game while we're podcasting about a different video game. That's the theme that you'll hear. If anyone, at his invitation, if anyone has another idea for a theme we can use there, go ahead and send it to me. It, it really, I've put out the call before. Anytime there's a segment on the show that you feel like needs some music Especially or some sort of an intro. Segments. Yeah, for the new segment, whatever it is. If you have music you want to send to me to use on the show, I will be happy to take it. And I will, of course happily give you credit for it so yeah let's see in news this week we got some feedback we like feedback on the show i just have to find it now talk for a minute henry hello i'm talking well i didn't say scream at them well got to you devil on the recording <laughs> it's not a goal it's not a challenge to see how high you can make the waveforms go henry i'm gonna make it red they have to be high enough so that the audio is clear but you don't have to you know try to get it to bust the uh, software. <laughs> All right, I'm looking for. Uh, I know how to get to Google's. The I know how to get to Google's um, programming on Sesame Street. Do you know how to get to Sesame Street? No, I know how to get to Google's programming. Oh, people! I'm ignoring Henry for a minute. I desperately need the new Sesame Street Lego set. It looks awesome. I also need the Star Wars Mos Eisley Cantina Star Wars set and. The 9,000-piece, literally 9,000-piece Lego set I saw yesterday that recre- uh, recreates the Roman Colosseum. So, you guys, if you want to send any of those to me, please do. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry, Henry. What you're saying about Atari software? No, I was talking about Google. Yeah? I know how to, 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 to get to Google's programming on my Chromebook. You can't okay. do anything about it with it. I was going to say, what do you do with it? You look at it. Because you can't mess around <laughs> with it. I'm pretty sure they made it that way. Because they made a keyboard shortcut that you can use to get back to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, you just press, I forgot what buttons, but you just press button, some buttons, and then you get back to it. So I don't know why they made it, so that you can't mess around with it. I don't. Probably so some, can, probably so some five-year-old can't go and mess around with the programming. And not, and nobody knowing how to get back to original recording, programming. Maybe. Okay. So, Sean Courtney. Hi, Sean. Uh, one of our patrons, a uh, longtime friend of the show, supporter of the show, co-host of the uh, Pie Factory podcast with Jimmy G. Uh, he also does the Autobiography of a Schnook podcast. Uh, weirdly, you'll hear an ad for that, I think, maybe later. I don't know. Keep listening. Anyway, he had thoughts about Chase the Chuck Wagon. We played that game a couple episodes ago. That's the promotional game put up by Perina, the dog food people, to uh, promote dog food, basically where you are a dog. I, I'm blanking already on what the game is. I think you're a dog running through a maze, basically. Here's what Sean said. I had a loose Chase the Chuck wagon for a while. I found it at video games then and now. Sean Kelly's store just outside of Chicago. Shout out to Sean Kelly, I guess. I've never been to this store, but uh, I'm intrigued. Sean, Courtney, go ahead and send us more information about the store. Why not? Sean says, it is indeed rare. I think it was some kind of tie-in with Perina that only a limited number of people got. Uh, you are correct. It was one of those deals where you collect proofs of purchase off the bags of dog food and send them some cash along with it, and they would send you an Atari cartridge. Just a cartridge? Well, the game. That's the game. Yeah. Like like the console, too? No, you had to have the console, but they would send you the game to play. What if you... So they send you a game in... What if you don't have the console? Well, you probably wouldn't care about getting the game if you didn't have the console. Alright, because you would just be giving them money. So you wouldn't send it to them. You'd be like, well, I don't care about this. And you wouldn't send them the money. Well, you could sell the Atari console and then get money. You could do what? You could sell the Atari console if you don't have a... <laughs> no, you could sell the Atari cartridge if you don't have the console Well, you to could, get money. I guess. You could but do that. I don't that. think you would get... But, like, uh, you know, your grandparents, they could buy their dog some food and then they could use the proofs of purchase to get their grandkid the game or something. Something like that. Anyway, Sean says, I don't know the full story, though. Uh, well, I kind of gave you the full story, Sean. I, I, I mean, you could listen to my episode. This uh, episode he, isn't out. Holy crap. He says he paid $60 for the cart, for what it's worth. And Sean's story has a glass-enclosed display that Jeez, has some of the rarer titles, so it wasn't with the main collection. I don't remember in the episode if I talked about... I, I don't think I talked about the going rate to buy the cartridge. I do not have the cartridge. I uh, uh, I played off the Harmony cart. It, it You've seen it. It's got the, uh, oh, the chip SD in it. Card. It's got an SD card in it with different games on it. Just lo- download off the computer. Sean says, I-, I wasn't looking to turn a profit, but I have to admit it was nice to see the price that auction ended with. It wasn't a crap ton of money, but it definitely more than covered the shipping costs. Interesting. I am curious now, because I, I should have looked in the episode, when I was doing the episode, what the going rate for the cartridges is. If anyone knows, let me know. I'm not looking to buy one. I've played the game already, and I, I can say that's a thing I've done in my life now. I don't really care to pursue it anymore. But I would be curious to know more about the cost. Sean then followed that up with another comment on Patreon. I think the rarest of 2600 game is Air Raid, which some years ago went for something like 30 grand on eBay. The guy who put it up for sale even met with Albert, the guy behind the website Atari Age, to verify that it was the real thing. 
I tried to edit my comment above, but it doesn't... I'm sorry, Henry, what? You would pay $30,000 to get a game. Apparently, this cartridge is for Air Raid is really, really rare. No, I mean, you there's have not that many. No, but I have... Have I played it on the show? I don't know if I played it on the show. How do you... Maybe it's coming ha, up. How, how have you played it on the show but not have it? I might have played it with, off the sound card, off the SD card. Mm. I'm blanking now whether I've played it or not. You should get another one of those Harmony cards and okay. just put Air Raid on it and then sell that. And then, and then sell the SD card. Maybe. That that wouldn't be worth anything. For Anyone can do that. And, for $30,000 and $1. Yeah, I don't think so. Just a minute. Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. In episode 250, we played Air Raiders. But is there a game called Air Raid? Alright, I guess there is. So we played Air Raiders on episode 250. But apparently there's another game called Air Raid, which Sean is saying may be the most maybe the rarest game of them all. Put a pin in that, because I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Sean goes on to say that you know, he sold his copy of Chase the Chuck Wagon with a bunch of other loose carts, not to turn a profit, but basically clear some space. My wife and I have a lot of stuff, but not a lot of space to keep it. So I'm trying to thin out my video games. I'm only keeping cartridges that have sentimental value to me and homebrews. All of 2600 Gaming is a courtesy, is courtesy of the Harmony cart. I wasn't seeking a profit when I tossed my Chase the Chuck Wagon into the lot. I started the bidding basically at the shipping cost and offered free shipping, but let's just say that the selling price ended up more than covering the shipping cost. It wasn't a heck of a lot more than $60 I paid for the game, but it was still nice. Thanks for the comment, Sean. I have not, to date, I've bought games on eBay. I've not tried to sell any games on eBay. I've tried selling other things. I find eBay, uh, it's handy, but it's a lot of work. You gotta take the pictures, you gotta, well, you gotta figure out how much to sell the thing for, and then you got to figure out the shipping cost, which is even harder in my experience. Then you got to write the listing, you got to take the picture, you got to upload the thing, and when somebody buys something, then you got to package the thing and mail it, and it's a lot of work for the however many dollars you get in return. So I have kids. I should put my kids to work because I got stuff that I could sell on eBay, but I have neither the time or the patience. That seems to be a theme for this episode that I have no time or patience. May I put my kids to work? What do you think, Henry? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, so I read Sean's comment, and then right after that, I mean, not literally after that, but shortly after that, I saw an article. This was an article posted on GameRant.com, uh, November 9th. The headline is, 10 Extremely Rare Atari 2600 Games All Collectors Want. I don't know how they determined this, but on the list at number 10, Air Raid. I'm just assuming most of you guys know what these games are. I'm not going to spend much time telling you what they are, but this article says Air Raid at number 10. Less than five transactions of this game have taken place, making it the veritable holy grail for collectors looking for truly valuable 2600 games. Evidently, the cartridge has a weird T-shaped design. Even in incomplete state, the cartridge has been known to sell for about $3,000. Dang, Henry. we got to start looking for that when we go to these flea markets. Number nine, Red Sea Crossing, which I've never heard of. Number eight extraterrestrials. Seven is Birthday Mania. The idea of Birthday Mania was people would send money to the company and receive a personalized copy for either themselves or the birthday person. Their name would be written inside the game congratulating the person on their special day. Needless to say, the idea was not super successful, or else the cartridge would not be worth between fifteen dollars and $35,000. Dang, dude. Six is Gamma Attack. Five is Superman? Yeah, Superman. Yeah. The Man of Steel has not had the best of luck in the video game space. 
His first entry into the medium fared better than most follow-ups, however... How much is it? I, I'm getting there, dude. And is important for being both one of the first licensed games and one of the first action-adventure games to utilize numerous screens, even predating adventure. While not every edition of the title is worth something, certain editions can fetch up to $10,000. I'm curious about that. Uh, I thought that was a link. There's no link. I thought maybe there was a link to... Oh, there is. Hold on. Okay, so the one you want for Superman to be worth anything, you want the Sears Telegames picture-labeled version. Anywhere from $3,000 to $10,000. If you have the standard Superman release with the red text on the label, it's not worth anything. Even a typical Sears release of the Superman game with the text-only label is only worth $150 to $200. But if you have the Sears version that has the yellow text and the picture of Superman on it, you're in luck. You want to go look to see what we have? Yeah. All right. Henry's going to go look. I will finish this list. Number four. Get, it's getting exciting now. Karate, which is not a particularly great game, but was released by two different publishers, Ultravision and Frogo. Uh, here we go. The number top three. Three Number three is Gauntlet, not to be confused with the popular arcade game. Gauntlet is a western where players go through a series of trails as a cowboy. Instead of buying the title at a store like most, one had to buy and wait for it in the mail. Number two, Pepsi Invaders. People complain about ads in sports games all the time. Back in the Atari 2600 day, entire games were essentially interactive ads, like Pepsi, uh, like Pepsi Invaders, a clone of Space Invaders made by the Coca-Cola company. In it, players destroy ships that spell out the word of their main competitor, Pepsi. Only about 125 copies were made and been given out for free during conventions. All right, here we go. The number one most valuable game for collectors, E.T., much has been written about E.T., uh, mainly about its quality, or lack thereof, though one should not think any less of programmer Howard Scott Warshaw. Yeah, we all know this story. When brought to auction, they sold for over $100,000. I can't find the... You gotta look in the box with the S's in it. Look up on top of the piano. Oh, there. Yeah. I have E.T. I wonder if I can retire now, if I sell it. Interesting. Wait. Henry, look for E.T. while you're at it. I think I have it. Alright, so there you go. If you have any of those games, let me know. And send them to me. Uh, you know, as your way of saying thanks for doing this podcast, send me a $10,000 video game. That seems about fair. Alright, well let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... Infiltrate. From Apollo, 1981. I don't have the actual manual here. I have a transcription of the manual... I'm told that there's a picture of a man holding a gun with futuristic scene and background with people running from laser fire, L-A-Z-E-R, on the front cover. Here's the situation. I know because it actually is headlined, the situation. You're a secret agent on a mission of crucial importance. Your mission is to infiltrate a top secret fortress. You must capture enemy documents and get out alive. Aw, oh, man. Here, come here, bring it here. We just got the bad news update, ladies and gentlemen. I have in my possession a Superman cartridge with Superman, with a Superman picture and red text. Yeah, I do not have a yellow text Superman, unfortunately. Sorry, kid. Guess you're not going to college. Uh, we still, we, I still would we'll look for E.T. All right, go look for E.T. Yeah, I thought I did. Yeah, I have E.T. Wow, it's actually in really good shape. So there you go. All right, there's still a chance. The article didn't say. Here, you look up on your phone. What is an Atari 2600 ET cartridge worth? Okay, so your challenge is to 
your challenge. The diabolical maze of corridors and elevators designed to confuse you and keep you from the documents. Your danger. Enemy assassins programmed to shoot on sight. Your weapon. A high-powered laser gun as powerful as that of the enemy. Your advantage. You're sharp enough to duck when they shoot. All right. It's a hectic chase. Hop an elevator. Survive enemy fire. Fire back. Duck. Infiltrate. Dot, dot, dot. If you dare. Exclamation point. Play to one or two players. Uh, you take turns. Use the joystick. Be sure the power's off when you insert or remove to infiltrate cartridge. You'll ruin the value. Since we're all about the value of cartridges right now. Whoa. Yeah, man. $108,000. I don't think so. And it, see, looks, the one he's holding the picture looks like this. I don't think so. Let me see. Read us the article. Hmm. Henry's telling me that the cartridge that I have here in my hand for E.T. is worth $108,000. I know copies containing what hailed as the worst video game of all time proved to be a valuable commodity as an online auction of E.T., the extraterrestrial Atari cartridge. Netted over $100,000. Nearly 900 copies of the infamously terrible video game were sold on eBay after an April 2014 excavation in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Confirmed the the urban legend that thousands of the cartridges were buried following the game's critical and commercial failure. A documentary about the dig a toy game over premiered in November 2014. Since then, the excavators led by operational consult- consultant Joe Lewandowski, that sounds familiar. Joe Lewandowski. Yeah. Have sold off copies of the buried treasure to gamers eager for a piece of, the vi- of video game history. The, Al- the Alamogardo. News reports via Complex. The most an ET cartridge sold for at an auction was $1,535. I think the $108,000 is how much they got total. Yeah, and the $108,000 that they're talking about, those are for the specific ET cartridges that they dug out of that hole. This might be one of them. It's not. I can almost positively tell you that I got this for Christmas one year from Grandma and Grandpa. So You could send it to a science lab and see if it has <laughs> particles of dirt. Sure. We'll do that right after we're done recording today. Thanks for looking, though. You want to put it back? Uh, yeah, if you would. Alright, so no college for Henry. Sorry, Henry. Henry's an optimist. He's thinking we might have other games that are worth a bunch of money. And maybe I'll do a run of uh, playing those rare Atari games on the podcast coming up. We'll see. So, yeah, this is a one or two player game. You take turns if you play the two player. You place the difficulty switch in the B position for easier play. When playing in the B mode, the range of shots fired by assassins trying to destroy you are limited to about half the game area. It's more difficult in A mode. Your enemy lasers will travel your enemies lasers will travel across the entire game area. Moving joystick left to right causes your agent's figure to run in that direction. When you press the red fire button, your agent will fire in the direction of his last movement. Your agent ducks when you move the joystick down, that is back towards yourself, allowing assassin's laser rays to pass harmlessly over your head. 
Ducking is a defensive position from which your agent is unable to shoot. When approaching an elevator, your agent automatically steps or stops at the proper loading point and will step on the elevator when it reaches his floor. The agent will walk across the elevator if you continue to press the joystick in the direction you want him to move. Once on an elevator, your agent will remain there until you cause him to either exit left or right by pressing the joystick in that direction as the elevator reaches any floor. Body contact with any of the assassins will destroy your agent as effectively as their laser fire. So remember, do not allow them to touch him, which is just good advice in the age of COVID. Your agent must reach both top and bottom floors in order to get the secret documents he seeks, and he receives 3,000 points each time he traverses all levels from either bottom to top or top to bottom. On the way, shooting assassins will not only keep him alive, but will also earn you 250 points for each assassin destroyed, plus 75 bonus points if the assassin is riding an elevator when destroyed. You have three agents to accomplish your mission. The hats displayed above your score show you how many agents you have in reserve. That's what why that guy's head looks so weird. He's wearing a hat. Anyway, in the field report, I talked about how the, your agent's head looks really weird, and now I just realized it's because he has a hat on. With each 10,000 points you earn, you will gain one additional agent up to a maximum of six. You never reached 10,000 points. I did not. There was no danger I was going to get to 10,000 points today. The, the most amount of points you got was 5,900. You can't hear Henry right now, but yeah, he's saying I got, what was it, 5,000 something? 5,900. 5,900, but I only played the game like four times today. There are different variations. There's a matrix here. Everyone in the back can see this. Okay, good. You can adjust the assassin speed. You can adjust the intelligence level. The invisible, there are invisible assassins on some of the levels. It's all very interesting stuff. My copy, my transcription of the manual here omitted the warranty info. So I have no idea if there's a warranty still valid on this 40-year-old game that I actually don't have. Because I played it on the Harmony card. Oh, well. And that is how you play... Infiltrate from Apollo. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Woodrain Wonderland, uh, their reviewer says they actually owned Infiltrate as a kid and swear that they actually enjoyed it but they bought it during the dark days of 1985 when VCS games were becoming hard to, to find at retail, so I suspect they may have just been happy may have just been happy to find a 2600 game to buy. Um, they called it a poor man's elevator action, which I've never played. They liked the fact that you can duck to avoid enemy fire, but that doesn't help much when robots can basically spawn right on top of you and snuff you out in an instant. Poor game design all around. Games by Apollo may not have released as many disasters as, say, Data Age, but I don't recall any real triumphs either. At least D.A. had Frankenstein's monster. Mind you, I'm only a third of the way through the alphabet, so I hope they surprise me. D+. Atari Protus observes that Apollo was one of the first third-party companies to make games for the 2600, beaten only by Activision. 
and although Apollo may not be known as one of the better third-party companies, they're far from the worst. Most of the games were fun, if a bit on the simplistic side. Infiltrate falls squarely in this category, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Beyond the standard speed and intelligence options for the assassins, Infiltrate offers an interesting invisible assassins variation, in which assassins are completely invisible, except when they're riding the elevators. This may seem difficult at first, but it's actually one of the best ways to play and add some longevity to an otherwise simple game. Infiltrate is a fun game, but due to the simplistic nature of the gameplay, it can get boring quickly. Even at the higher difficulties, invisible assassins aside, the game tends to be a bit on the easier side. It has some odd graphical glitches which cause your character to distort a bit when riding up and down the elevators, and occasionally the screen seems to jump a bit. Infiltrate is one of the better games Apollo put out, so put on your secret agent top hat, grab your gun, and ride those elevators. Just watch out for the fry guys. That's who those guys are. The McDonald's Fry Guys. Here's Ronald McDonald in French Fry Lovers. It's a good time for McDonald's French Fries. The Fry Guys. Bye bye. Get back those fries, guys. Oh, Bob. Uh huh. Oh boy. Share your fries. Sharing McDonald's French Fries is fun for the whole family. Good time. Fries guys. You have no idea what I'm talking about at this point in the episode, but in the field report, I said that the assassins don't look like assassins to me. They look like monsters from the old McDonald's commercials. The Fry Guys. That's who I'm trying to think of. There you go, past me. Let me just double check that I'm not hallucinating. Yeah, these guys. Isn't that who the assassins look like? Those don't look anything like fries. No, they're not fries. They're called the Fry Guys because they steal french fries in the McDonald's commercials a long time ago. Isn't that what the bad guys in Infiltrate look like? Looks like off-brand Sesame Street. Well, yeah, it kind of does. But confirm for me, isn't that who the bad guys in Infiltrate look like? Yeah. Thank you. So, past me, and to me, future me to you, that's who I'm trying to talk about in the field report that these bad guys look like, which makes no sense to me, but I feel better now. All right. Games by Apollo, also known as Apollo, was a third-party game developer based in Richardson, Texas, founded in 1981 by Pat Roper as a subsidiary of the National Career Consultants. The first title they put out was Skeet Shoot, and neither it or the 10 games that followed caught on. The company was one of the first to declare bankruptcy as a result of the North American video game crash of 1983. Maybe I'll do a run of... Uh, Every game by Apollo that I haven't already done on the show, too. Remind me of all this stuff later, dude. Alright, well, after the break, we infiltrate this episode's game. In a socially distanced manner. Our joystick even has a mask on it. been compared to Sean Connery. Yeah, the American Sean Connery. I, I'm sure many of you can see it. Anyway, I've, I thought it was time that we play a spy game of our own, so we're playing Infiltrate, which, you know, for copyright and trademark reasons, has nothing to do with James Bond. It's just sort of a generic spy game with weird sort of monsters as enemy agents. I don't know. We'll get into it, I guess. Oh, also, we're using new technology today to record the video, so... Thanks to me. Thanks to our, our uh, videographer, Henry. So, um, if you like this video a lot more, or hate it a lot more, let us know. Here we go. It's very, it's very 
colorful uh, secret lair, or whatever we're doing. So the idea is we ride these weird elevators up, I guess, to the top floor. And then you can get the... I think that wall, Henry, is actually supposed to be a piece of paper. This is uh, early 80s technology. Aha! I've been trying to figure out what these enemy agents, that they're supposed to be enemy agents, look like. They remind me of, hey, not cool. You can shoot me on the elevator, but I can't shoot you. That's not cool. A particular kind of creature from really old McDonald's commercials. I can't remember what they're called, but that's what they remind me of. Some of you of a certain age might know what I'm talking about. I know. Henry doesn't. He's not of a certain age. I did this before. I've only played this like the third time I played this game. I don't know what happens now. Because I got the paper. I guess maybe I have to shoot the rest of the people. They're monsters. But I did that before and then it just kind of sat there. So I don't know what happens next. Hey. I think the hamster. I think the monster. Out of lives, so I don't know, keep Maybe. I don't know. <coughs> Not cool. your spy guy's head. Look at his head. It's kind of this weird rectangle shape. Maybe that's why he wanted to become a you know, cool secret agent to compensate for his weird rectangle head. I think you can shoot on the elevator. No, I'm trying to get off the elevator. There you go. Hey! Well, I was going to show you what happens when I shoot all the monsters, but what happens is it just sits there. So I guess that's the end of the game. I don't know. Did that other piece of paper, that wall, appear earlier or just at the very know. end here? I don't know either. Alright, we'll try one more.
This is fascinating television, isn't it, everybody? I'm just waiting for the elevator to move so I can shoot him. side to the other. I tried going to the top in an earlier game, going all the way over, you can't leave the screen. I don't get it. And on that disappointing note, back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So here's the thing about Infiltrate. Henry, you didn't actually play Infiltrate today, but you watched it. Do we like Infiltrate? Mm-hmm. Eh. Does it look like a game that you would want to go try? Like this afternoon, go try that a little bit before you play James Bond. Don't know? No. You're still disappointed that we don't have a $100,000 Superman game, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought the game was okay. I did get kind of bored pretty quick, mostly because I couldn't figure out what happens after you get the paper, which Henry pointed out looks like a wall. You pick it up, and then nothing happens. I couldn't figure out how to get to the next level, the next board, if there is a next board. So that was disappointing. But, you know, it was. It looks nice. It's very colorful. The gameplay itself was okay. Uh, I thought the assassins looked weird. They didn't look like uh, bad guys to me. They looked like the fry guys. We now know what to call them. So, yeah, this is probably not a game I would recommend, but I didn't actively hate it either, I guess. I will probably spend my gaming time with Pitfall 2 or most any other game, actually, with some exceptions. If you guys have thoughts about Infiltrate or the Fry Guys or McDonald's or anything, you know how to reach me. And if you don't, we'll tell you at the end of the show. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. Henry, do you have a story for us this week? No. 
No? He's quite happy about it, too. No, no story. All right. I do. Uh, otherwise, this would be a very short episode, relatively. This week's story is titled Entering Sheila, a Steve Stetson 1980s super spy adventure. With a massive grinding of gears and splintering of wood, the dump truck smashed through the barrier outside the county administration building and rolled to a stop. A few white envelopes fluttered out the back. Commander Maddie Grimm stepped out of the building, adjusting her faux fur hat against the bracing election day chill. You found the missing ballots? She said, her voice a mix of relief and incredulity. Secret Agent Steve Stetson bounded lightly from the cab of the dump truck with a twinkle and a smirk. What? No, he said. These are parking tickets and paternity test results. Gotta stop using the guess we ran out of gas bit on my dates. Commander Grimm deducted the dump truck rental fee from Stetson's paycheck. Deep within Secret Operations Headquarters, Commanding Maddie Grimm drummed the fingers of one hand on her desk while she tapped the intercom button with the finger on the other hand. Miss Carlyle, is Stetson there yet? He's coming right now, she said. Yeah, he is, Stetson's voice said over the intercom. A moment later, the door to Grimm's office swung open. Greetings, Commander, Stetson said. You're looking especially surly this morning. Mind if I sit? He parked himself in the wingback chair opposite the still-open office door. All the better to avoid surprise entries. A survival tip learned from a man often at odds with angry husbands, angry husbands and boyfriends. And the occasional supervillain. But mostly the angry boyfriends. Stetson poured himself a cup of tea from the pot on the table next to the chair. You're out of sugar cubes, he said as he plunked eight of them into the porcelain cup. Now then, he said, what brings me here today? Sheila. Commander Maddie Grimm said. I swear I wasn't with her, Stetson said. Not that, Sheila, Grimm said. She underwent selective memory wipe. Has no idea who you are. Well, which Sheila? The door to Grimm's office swung closed, revealing a tall man in a dark suit and darker disposition had been standing behind it when Stetson opened it. This Sheila, he said. I think I'd remember you, Sheila, Stetson said. He gave the stranger a once-over. Yes, indeed. The stranger approached Stetson, handed him a large three-ring binder, then turned on his heel to stand at attention behind Commander Grimm's chair. His expression never changed. You must be really good at freeze tag, Stetson said. Stetson, Grimm said, this is the operations manual for your next assignment. We need you to get inside Sheila. Yeah, you do. Sheila is the smirk hidden empire of land and air. Smirk, Stetson said, toppling his teacup as he stood. The shadowy figure behind Maddie Grimm was not pleased. It's just my resting face, Stetson, Grimm said. Was that... was that a joke? Stetson said. Grimm's face didn't move. Yes, she said. I thought I destroyed Smirk years ago, Stetson said. So did we, Grimm said. I knew you didn't, the shadowy figure said. Smirk was the organization run by supervillain Hans Hensley. The letters in Smirk don't stand for anything. Hans Hensley just likes the sound of it. Smirk. A few years ago, before this day in Grimm's office, Stetson dropped Hensley from a helicopter into a volcano. In reality, it was Indra Johnson's 7th grade science project, 
but the vinegar and the fake lava really stung. Indra took third on her project, but won the Junior Spy Award from the Department of Secret Operations. So, Hensley is alive? Stetson said. That's what we need you to find out, Grimm said. That, and you need to get the plans for the new superweapon. What superweapon? Read the binder, said the dark-suited one. It's in the binder, Stetson, Maddie Grimm said. Well then, Stetson said, throwing the binder over his shoulder. Guess I'll just be surprised. Thirty-six hours later, thanks to Secret Operations mission assistants who knew where to drop him off, because he didn't read the binder, Stetson emerged in scuba gear from a sewage pipe deep within the bowels, eh, of smirk. It was gross, sure, but the stealth approach was always the most effective in Stetson's experience. That was when he was clubbed over the head. When he came to, Stetson was chained spread eagle on a steel table. He opened his eyes to the sight, the chicken pot pie scented blur, really, of a woman's face parked mere inches from his own. Her nose alone, he thought, spanned from ear to ear. Sheila? Stetson said. Is that you? It's Tamara, the woman said, then stood up straight. She had to be seven feet tall, and backlit by the sodium light above, punched Stetson soundly in the face. When Stetson regained consciousness again, three eyes peered into his. Tamara owned two of them. The third eye was the glowing red sight of a massive laser. With a grin, Tamara pressed the buttons on a remote keypad and adjusted the laser so that it pointed directly at Stetson's nads. Seriously, Stetson said, trying to scare me, do you really expect me to talk? No, Mr. Stetson, I expect you to fry, Tamara said. I hate that, Stetson responded, when people say time to fry or you're going to fry from like lightning or lasers or something. I mean, you can burn or scorch, but you need oil to fry. Tamara gestured to the laser. Oh, this isn't for you. We use this to crack walnuts. Sounds about right, Stetson said. This, Mr. Stetson, is for you. Tamara pressed a button on her controller, and the steel decking beneath the table holding Stetson in place slid open, revealing a papier-mâché volcano filled with boiling oil. Much better, Stetson said. Stetson sensed another presence in the room. We don't much like infiltrators, a creaky old voice said. The dull clang of a cane banging on the steel decking and the charred visage that used to be Hans Hensley came into view. We meet again, Mr. Stetson, Hensley said. I'd swear a puff of smoke just came out of your mouth, Stetson said. How'd you survive the volcano? Hatred, Mr. Stetson, Hensley said. With pure hatred, you can survive anything. You're welcome, Stetson said. Do you know what I hate most, Stetson? Hensley said. This ought to be good. Infiltrators, Hensley said. I prefer to think of it as party crashing, Stetson said. This is my domain, Hensley said. Tamara pointedly cleared her throat. Our domain, Hensley corrected. But the walnut laser is mine. Whatever, Tamara said. I think perhaps it's time to crack a few walnuts, Hensley said. Indeed, Tamara said, tapping at her controller. Were those fangs? Stetson was pretty sure he saw fangs. Stetson stared intently as the laser warmed up. A little trickle of sweat formed on his brow. Steady, steady. At the precise instant the laser discharged, Stetson tossed a fistful of sugar cubes he'd swiped from Maddie Grimm's tea service into the path of the laser. The cubes were disintegrated, sending grains of sugar into his captor's eyes, momentarily blinding them. Unable to see what she was doing, Tamara's fingers on the laser controller sent the beam wild. 
One laser pulse cut down Tamara and another ricocheted off the wall and cut through the metal clasp, holding one of Stetson's arms. As Tamara collapsed, lifeless, cutting off the laser as well, Stetson managed to undo the manacles on himself. Hans Hensley skittered down a corridor. Stetson could surely catch him, but he had a mission to complete. That remaining unpunched line on his spy loyalty card said so. Ten punches, and he would get a free sub. Helpfully, the schematics for Hensley's superweapon were on the table by the Smirk headquarters' front entrance, along with Hensley's sunglasses, hovercraft keys, and half a pack of Lifesavers' spearmint candies. We here at Atari Bytes would like to take a moment to welcome our new sponsor, Lifesavers. Is that sponsored? No, I'm making that up, Henry. Mm. Sorry. Stetson scooped up the plans, the hovercraft keys, and the Lifesavers. His mouth was a bit dry and turned to bolt out the main entrance to the hidden lair as Sheila started to explode, taking the whole secret fortress with it, because that's what secret fortresses do at the end of a spy movie. Stetson! Hensley shrieked from an adjacent hallway. Stetson turned, smirked, fittingly enough, and waved to his archenemy. Thanks for the Lifesavers brand rolled candies, he said, just as the roof caved in on Hans Hensley. Moments later, Stetson was speeding across open water on the hovercraft, the secret fortress sinking behind him. Commander Maddie Grimm came up the port side on a jet ski, faux fur hat, fluttering in the sea breeze, as Stetson waved the weapon schematics like semaphore flags. Grimm's climbed, Grimm climbed aboard the hovercraft and took the plans from Stetson. Hey, Commander, Stetson said. Want to suck my lifesaver? He held up the half rule. We could do that thing where we each chew a lifesaver, then kiss and make sparks. Grim took the roll and threw it in the ocean. Do you hate science, Commander? Stetson said. You're an idiot, Grim said. This is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the End of the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Big thanks to Henry for being here today and providing technical assistance. Yeah. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. Thanks to M. Carp for the What Game is Henry Playing While We Podcast About a Different Game theme. Make sure whatever you do, you stealthily creep over to Apple Podcasts and leave a spy-worthy, secret, agent, villain-type review of the show. I don't know. Just go leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. 
Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Oh, that jingling and smacking sound you hear? That's not me. That's Bug leaning into the microphone. Apologies. Um, follow me personally at Carnival of Glee on Twitter. Also look us up on Instagram. And don't forget, you can call us too. We're not going to answer the phone. Neither Bug nor Henry or I are ever going to talk to you if you call. But you can leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978 about really anything you want, and I will probably play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. You can get information about this show, uh, my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, links to episodes, information about books that I've written, including Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts, and don't forget my novel, In the Saint Nick of Time. It is the holiday season. It'd be a perfect gift for yourself or a friend, or if you hate the book, an enemy, you know, whatever. Go check that out. You can support the show financially by becoming a patron on patreon.com. Just look up the Atari Bytes page over there. Patrons get stuff. They get early access to episodes. They get bonus content from time to time, including videos of the field report that you hear on the episode every week. All sorts of good things over there. Plus, they get to hang out with the cool kids. Michael Tyler, Jose Caseda, Sean Courtney, Aerospike, M. West, and Jim Doble. They need monitoring, so you should join the Patreon and uh, go watch what they're up to. All right, that's about it, other than to tell you what's happening next week. Next week, we're going on an adventure. That's right. We're going to play Lord of the Rings, Journey to Rivendell. I believe it's an unreleased prototype from back in the day. I am a Lord of the Rings fan, but I'm not a Lord of the Rings fanatic. So we'll see what happens. If you have thoughts about Lord of the Rings, the game or otherwise, let me know. Do you have thoughts about Lord of the Rings, Henry? No. No, Henry has no thoughts about Lord of the Rings. So it could be a very short episode. (laughs) So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.